Welcome back to the R Squared Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Akash. You can find me on Twitter at YZR underscore fantasy. And I'm Ian, and you can find me at Dynasty underscore IM on Twitter. We're back for another week of breaking down trends from every single game that was played this week, as well as looking at season-long trends for the teams that played this week, and we're excited to get into this one. Just dive right into it with the Broncos-Browns game. Cortland Sutton, he's kind of like um, 2020 DK Metcalf without a good QB or like a Walmart version of that. He has a 24% target share and 42% of the air yards, which is absolutely insane. And it's led to him leading the league in air yards and also unrealized air yards. So he has a good ceiling. I'm interested to see what the offense looks like with Jerry Judy back because as much as we, we know Jerry Judy is a beta, but I think the ceiling is less so when with Jerry Judy back, and I'd expect some decent, some good wide receiver two numbers for Sunday. Obviously, getting a lot of valuable targets. Javante Williams in a timeshare with Melvin Gordon, who we know from his history in Los Angeles, is a good receiving back. Has a nine percent target share, which is pretty pretty good. Like we know Javante is a like sneaky good receiver at North Carolina. He had a decent receiving profile. Wasn't elite or anything but it's good enough and we know he's a good runner so if you add those two together you have some bell cow upside upside he might not take over the backfield this year just because melvin gordon is playing decently well he's not horrible so i will say that javante williams is primed for explosion but that explosion may just be in 2022 melvin gordon isn't washed is is a takeaway Teddy bridgewater is third in completion percentage over expected and 10th in adot so it would seem that He's throwing well and throwing down the field, but he ranks 29th out of 33 QBs with 10 plus deep attempts in deep PFF passing grade. So he's doing most of the good throwing in this short and intermediate range and not throwing well down the field, which is part of the reason why Cortland Sutton has so many unrealized air yards. So I think a better QB would definitely benefit Sutton, who has tremendous upside. Yeah, we've seen Sutton be really good as of late, especially with all those air yards and a high target share. But seeing his value not move, I'd have to guess, has a lot more to do with Jerry Judy coming back than Cortland Sutton himself, which to me makes Cortland Sutton a buy, even though it's not in a great situation, like you just talked about with Teddy Bridgewater. But that doesn't mean in Dynasty that we won't be scooping him up. I'm pretty sure he's around like wide receiver 28. Kind of feels like he's not he's not DJ Moore, but he's on an offense where he's not getting uh, maximized as much with Teddy Bridgewater, and they're not scoring a lot which doesn't help his case. So I'm, I'm pretty positive Cortland Sutton is someone we'll be buying a lot of now and as well in the offseason. As for Cleveland, someone that I'm buying OBJ. I did get a little bit of flack for it, but he's still someone that puts uh, nearly an alpha target share. He's at 21.7% on the season after returning from injury. He's constantly 20-plus, and I don't think you can find someone that has a 20%-plus target share as late in value as you can find Odell Beckham. He's starting to get around like wide receiver 60 range on keep trade cut, which is definitely something that I'm buying. He's still 28. He's still one of the perennial all-time talents at the wide receiver position, and he's still putting up really good target shares, and he's he's still really good. It's just a situation, and he's not 30 or anything. So he's someone I'm buying at such such a um, depreciated cost that I don't mind taking a little heat for buying him. Looking at the rest of um, rest of Cleveland, Dearness Johnson was kind of the only only person on Cleveland who really did much in that game. He had 24 uh, PPR fantasy points, 
and that was on 75% of the ops on a 6.3% target share, which is a great rental. I mean, it'd be nice to sell him for a second, but that's probably not something you could do with Chubb coming back into the offense. Um, I still think that Dearness Johnson keeps some relevancy because Kareem Hunt will probably be out for a while longer, but he's not someone that catches a lot of passes. So when he doesn't get that opportunity share that he did um, with such not great targets, despite being in on all those snaps, it's, it's not super enticing. So yeah, if I can get a late second for him, even like I'm definitely taking that, but with Chubb back, we won't see, we won't see very much relevancy out of Dearness Johnson because when when Kareem Hunt's back and Chubb's there, Kareem Hunt catches a lot of passes. Yeah, that's what gives Hunt his viability. I don't think Dearness Johnson steps into any startable role like Kareem Hunt did. He's an interesting backup just because with Hunt already injured, if Chubb was to miss more time, he'd obviously step right back into a pretty useful role, but I wouldn't put him in any, like, even in flex conversation with Hunt out. He's just a backup. Going now to the Washington football team game against the Packers. Heineke is very, very bad. He is the 32nd worst PFF passing grade and the 32nd worst PFF offensive grade. He's like playing on the same levels as the rookies like Lawrence, Fields, Mills, except he's not a rookie. He's a 28-year-old, 60-year veteran. So as soon as uh, Fitzpatrick gets back, it's his job. And that should be an easy call for Ron Rivera. And it helps out Terry McLaurin, who probably gets a decent QB upgrade and a guy who's willing to sling it a bit more. Terry's playing like an elite wide receiver right now. Really just needs even half decent QB play to unlock his upside. He has a 33% target share last week, 29% target share on the year. It's up there with some of the best receivers in the game right now. J.D. McKissick is a weekly RB3, especially while Curtis Samuel is out. They operate in similar levels of the field, and so if he can get some dump offs week to week, it's, it's a decent spot star, especially as we go through bye weeks every single week. Gibson, like, visually, like, looking at Antonio Gibson play, you can tell he isn't healthy, and he doesn't have much of an impact in the receiving game. He's an RB2 for the rest of the season, I would think, and... For the next few weeks, I don't, I don't know if he'll get right. I think he needs to, he should sit for a few weeks just to get back to, back closer to full health. But I don't think the team's going to sit him, which unfortunately makes him hard to trust week to week, just because his injury is making his playing time go down. And when you're not much of a factor in the receiving game, the floor is pretty low. Yeah, I think Terry McLaurin's one of those guys. I believe we talked about this last week, where he's just someone that I'm always going to be buying because of his QB play and the offense as a whole minus him just isn't great. It just sinks his value. And he's, he's someone who's kind of been historic despite not being a great prospect. Like he's already near a 30% target share. This is his third season. He's a straight alpha. So I think we're just waiting for that quarterback to come in and then you'll see his, his value at assume skyrocket because people love when the quarterbacks get paired to him. So, yeah, I think right now we're just in a phase where you're just always buying Terry McLaurin because the talent's kind of just undervalued because of this offense. So Devontae Adams had his lowest target share of the season at 20.7%, which is just insane to think about because 20.7%'s pretty good target share, especially when it's your exact lowest of the season. Although he won't be available for Thursday night because of COVID. It sounds like Alan Lazard won't be, so they're going to be missing some weapons and yeah, it'll probably uh, benefit Valdez, Scantling, and 
probably Randall Cobb, but I feel like one of the biggest beneficiaries are someone you should feel really good about on Thursday with this kind of weird situation they have coming up is Aaron Jones. He's already someone who gets a pretty high target share. Uh, last week he was 14.7% on over 50% of the ops. I think he'll he'll operate the same way in the backfield, but with so many options down, it would not surprise me one bit to see that target share hit 20% just because of the lack of other options, and he's someone who can catch the ball out of the backfield. So I think it's kind of wheels up for Aaron Jones on Thursday. Um, as far as the rest of the backfield, A.J. Dillon and Kylan Hill in the last week were kind of pretty similar in ops. Um, Dylan had a few more catches or targets, I should say, but there's it just doesn't look good. It's really murky for AJ Dylan, someone who's probably a bit overdrafted because they're using three backs. It's like the Jamal Williams role, but the Jamal Williams role in Green Bay was never too sexy. And then Rodgers this last week just had his best game of the season with an 84.2 PFF grade. Uh, yeah, he's just he's really good despite his age. Yeah, and then another beneficiary of Adams and Lazard being out would probably say Robert Tunyon, who hopefully will see more looks. I know he hasn't been most useful this season, but he capitalized when Adams missed some time last year as well. So I think a lot of people have been talking about how Arizona is really good against tight ends, but the best tight end they face is Tyler Higby, so I wouldn't look too much into that. Tunyon's probably a decent start this week, even though this isn't like... uh, start sit show but um i would say i am excited to see what aaron jones can do in this game i think he'd have a ceiling game just because i think they used him more downfield as well when adams missed time not just out of the backfield like his usage could really look like what alvin Kamara does week to week in new orleans where he's their best receiver wheels up for aaron jones this week i think we both agree with that yeah moving on to the kansas city chiefs game against the titans Mahomes' worst game of his career. It's been a a weird start to the season for him. We know he'll bounce back because he's the best player in the league. The great players always do bounce back. Chiefs quickly abandoned the run when they got down early, which led to Darrell Williams not really being a factor, even though he was the guy in the backfield from an opportunity standpoint. Neither running backs really did anything. Every week, I have to say... Tyreek is Tyreek and Kelsey is Kelsey. One interesting thing, actually, Tyreek on the season has a higher target share than Kelsey, which we haven't ever seen him do in Kansas City. So it's interesting for Tyreek, who could have a higher ceiling this year, but it doesn't matter for Kelsey because they're both going to be elite regardless. It's just something to note and really just a strange game. So there's not a lot of takeaways except for just probably writing this one off as an outlier. Yeah, I think you can write the Kansas City off as an outlier because you don't get these years of just crazy production and then a few weeks they're just not there. So, I mean, you're not going to be able to buy low on any of these Chiefs players if I had to guess. I mean, I'm not going to be able to or anything like that. But, yeah, they're going to bounce back. It's pretty obvious it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Titans, who smashed them, looked really good, but they still just they don't have the passing volume. It's not that surprising because they just haven't. Derrick Henry's still there, which uh, looking at Twitter and everywhere else, it seemed like A.J. Brown, there was kind of victory laps because people said he was he was faded and stuff like that, like they were fading him. But that didn't never made sense because the thing with A.J. Brown was it's always been a volume issue. Like he on the season, he still has an alpha target share. Last week, he had a 33.3% target share, which is stud, absolute stud. It's just the efficiency with such a small volume that he really has to be good at, and that's what he's been. But there's also regression that comes with that efficiency. 
So yeah, it makes sense that AJ Brown isn't going to be quite as good as last year, if I had to guess, but he's still a perennial talent just in a situation that doesn't have a lot of high volume because of someone like King Henry, who they can just run down someone's throat. And then looking at King Henry, he's actually got a 9% target share on the season, which is still crazy to me for someone who's never even touched a 7% target share in his entire career or definitely wasn't catching passes is not only getting really good usage. We know that he's, he's like a 90% ops guy and 80% ops guy, but the, the targets were always the thing with Derrick Henry. And now he's at a 9% target share low volume or not. That's still really crazy to see because you're talking about an RB, a high end RB one, just having another weapon to his fantasy game of targets. And then looking at Ryan Tannehill, it was the second best passing game of the season. Uh, 86.9 PFF. It's just, it's just funny how everything kind of regresses to what you expect. Like, week to week, you're going to get some variance, obviously. But, like, this A.J. Brown stud game should not have been a shock to anyone. Uh, Tannehill being a lot better than people said he was should not be a shock to anyone because that's who they've been for years. And you should always go with the yearly, like, over-the-year data versus a few-week sample size because that's how you end up just selling A.J. Brown, apparently. Yeah, I think uh something to note is julio jones who hasn't been playing a full complement of snaps since week two this is how hamstring injuries are and it's leading me to have i'm gonna end up having to do the same thing i did last year where i have to manually take out the games where he barely played any snaps and then calculate his target share but because right now just on the season it's an 18 percent target share that seems a bit low because it is and he's not playing full complement of snaps so i really don't know what to make of julio jones but on a per route basis i haven't looked at this because i haven't looked at it in depth into him i on the per route basis i would assume he's still julio jones-esque it's just there's volume problems there's playing a full snaps problem running all the routes problems so i think julio worth monitoring going forward how he does just because he's already hit the age curve in terms of value and now he can start to hit the age curve in terms of production yeah and he, he was already someone that you if he's on your team he's kind of retiring on your team so there's yeah. not really there's not really much uh much action you can do with him yeah and it's uh it's unfortunate because i really like julio jones and i'm a falcons fan so if he declines that would just suck to see but who knows on a on the season he's his um yards per out run is 2.3 so that's really good so i would say that he's still julio jones he's just not playing as many snaps as he usually does so once he gets um back to normal with his hamstring which can take time because he has a history of hamstring injuries i it would take weeks after he hurt his hamstring a couple weeks ago so this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone but I would say he should go back to being normal Julio Jones, albeit in a low-volume offense in a, over time, over the rest of the season. So I wouldn't sell low on Julio Jones. He is the kind of guy I would let retire on my team. Then moving on to the Falcons-Dolphins game, I'm buying Ridley since the production hasn't exactly matched the volume he's getting. He has terrific volume, we, uh, especially week-to-week, week, but there hasn't been like the ceiling games that we saw with Calvin Ridley last week and some some of the, I don't know, they've been missing on some throws or something, but the ceiling production isn't there like it should be based on this volume, so I'm buying that. He has a 27% target share on a decently high-volume offense that should equal more production, and the production will come. Ryan's playing well despite not hitting Ridley on some throws. Ryan right now is ninth in PFF passing grade. Kyle Pitts is playing very well for a rookie tight end. 
18% target share is elite amongst rookie tight ends and would be very good for a rookie wide receiver. So he's a guy that will end up at the end of the year. I think he'll end up being like a top 12 asset in dynasty. He has the most yards for any rookie tight end through seven games as for deployment. Pitts uh, is playing more than 80% of his passing snaps out wide or in the slot, which is a kind of deployment that gives you tremendous upside because he's basically being used as a wide receiver. And we know that people talk about, oh, he's basically uh, a tall wide receiver in a tight end body or with a tight end designation. And that's kind of true, but he is still a tight end, which gives you an advantage in tight end premium leagues. He's a cheat code. But that doesn't mean bad things for Calvin Ridley. Over the season, Ridley has as many or more targets than Pitts in every single game. And offenses don't have to be either or. They can have two successful players, two very productive players. But I'm buying Ridley, and I think I might be buying high on Kyle Pitts because over the past few weeks, he's really turned a corner, and he'll be unattainable soon. And uh, moving on to the backfield there, Cordero Patterson versus Mike Davis. It started off with a lot of Mike Davis, and then Cordero Patterson started mixing in. Then it transitioned to a 50-50 split, and now it's pretty much looking like it's mostly Cordero Patterson. He's getting more involved in the receiving game in terms of routes. He's running more routes from a wide receiver position as well, and that'll make him uh, an RB1 probably for the rest of the season just because being used as a wide receiver when you're running back is a tremendous advantage. And Mike Davis is not startable going forward. Yeah, I, I definitely saw the usage and now I've seen it for a while. And I think it's not safe to say, but I think I can feel comfortable saying that Cordero Patterson is likely an RB1 this year because what you said, not only is he getting the crazy high ops, 76% last week, but he's also being used as a wide receiver last week at 12.8% target share. So that's something that's absolutely lethal from the running back position because we know how valuable targets are for a position where carries don't get you the point that a PPR reception or target does. So I think it's, I feel comfortable saying Cordero Patterson's probably an RB1 this year. Um, as far as Miami in this game, Tua was pretty good in the last two weeks, an 83.5 and an 81 PFF uh grade which is pretty good and then he was the qb1 in fantasy this last week which is also pretty good and his value just isn't there because there's all these rumors about someone coming in to replace him a certain someone and he would just be sent elsewhere so that already doesn't put a lot of confidence into a plus there was an overreaction to his rookie year which is just because he wasn't herbert or burrow who just kind of lit the league on fire he finished. I put this in the. I put this in the buy sell somewhere. But his PFF passing grade is rookie year is currently better right now than Zach Wilson, um, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. So everyone, uh, first round rookie running uh, quarterbacks except for Mac Jones, which should really say something because people are freaking out over two. And I have a feeling that even if his rookie PFF grade was higher or is, ends up being higher than these guys, these guys won't get the dip that Tua did this year. So I think if he's still being valued just pretty low, kind of around that QB20 range, you should definitely be jumping all over that because we have good re uh, reason to believe that Tua is pretty good at football. Uh, looking at the backfield, Gaskin still gets good usage. He's around 60% ops, 10% target share, which is like right where you want him. On the season, he's a 52% ops share, 13.2% target share, which – 
is good. It just just sometimes doesn't work out despite good usage, and you just have to trust that everything will regress to the mean. So if Gaskin's getting continued to get overlooked because of uh, his production or outproducing um, what his fantasy value says, then you should be buying because he is getting good usage, and that's what matters. Uh, Jalen Waddle and Gasicki were both 20% guys with Parker and obviously Fuller out, which is good to see, but the problem is we felt good because two was coming back and Waddle's a dot that was insanely low with percent kind of jumped back up. But even with two back in week seven, where he had a 20% target share still an a dot at 6.5, which if you don't know, you kind of want to be in that eight to 12 range, like the below an eights kind of just invaluable targets. And it feels like even with two back Waddle's kind of just in that role. So it'll definitely be a situation to monitor. I will say he's probably a little better than I thought he would be in terms of earning targets. But with such a low ADOT, it's still it's it's a flag for sure. Yeah, and that's why we use weighted opportunity rating uh, Whopper is that the air yards also matter, and it's easier to earn a target when you're closer to the line of scrimmage because that's where you see some design targets as well. It's harder to earn a target more down the field just because it takes time to run down the field and all that. A lot of confounding variables, but on a from a Whopper perspective, if he's earning a lot of short targets, it's not super valuable. And I think that he's a decent beta. Definitely not as he definitely playing above his college profile right now. But I think that they bring in an alpha wide receiver through the draft or free agency. I, I'd like to see them draft a guy either with the 49ers first or their own second or maybe bring in a guy like Godwin or Allen Robinson that would be interesting I would make the offense potent pretty much because they have Gesicki and Fuller as free agents at the end of the year and I, I do want a quick hit that Devontae Parker is someone that again I don't mind spending a third round pick to get because he's likely the leading receiver on this team he is right now he's the one of the few alphas on the team so it's not hard to see him continue to be the leading uh receiver or target getter and again two is not a bad quarterback so it's definitely worth a third round pick if you're trying to get some wide receiver production because Devonte parker will bring you that yeah on the season he has the uh highest target share i believe yeah amongst miami dolphins right yeah and that's just he's missed uh some time but that just brings the price down. I'd be, I'd feel fine floating a third or even a couple fours because he just, some guys view him as a roster clogger, some view him as free production. So moving on to the New York Jets game against the Patriots, Jets got absolutely stomped on this. One interesting tidbit that I found when looking at this game was that the Jets neutral pass frequency in this game was, I don't know whether to say zero or undefined, but they played zero snap zero offensive snaps this game in a neutral situation so the second they got the ball their win percentage was less than 20 percent, which i just find hilarious it's a funny little factoid but that's what happens when you're the jets right and zach wilson got hurt he's gonna miss some time mike white came in and targeted the running back like more than 15 times which is absolutely absolutely insane joe flacco for the next couple weeks while zach Wilson is out. They traded for him from the Eagles. He's an average veteran QB, probably makes Corey Davis a wide receiver three or a flex play. I'm not expecting too, too much from Crowder or Elijah Moore. Moore, he will get better as the season goes on, we'd expect, just because that's what the trend of rookies doing is. But I wouldn't feel comfortable uh, with him as a starter. He's just a guy that you hold on your 
bench because the usage is decent. It's it hopefully gets better as the season goes on, but right now it's not startable. The backfield is also pretty much useless except for when they see a lot of targets from Mike White, which they really have only been doing with Mike White. And without that, neither of them really has neither Carter or Ty Johnson has like a target share over ten percent in in any game. So I wouldn't feel comfortable starting anyone from the backfield because none of them are really good runners. The offense isn't very good and none of them get bundled targets in any way. Like like an average runner like on a bad team like Miles Gaskin does. That's why he's valuable. That's why he was valuable last year. He got funneled targets more than a guy like Michael Carter gets funneled targets. Just to talk about Elijah Moore, since obviously this whole offense just is not good because Zach Wilson as a rookie quarterback hasn't been good. Obviously, Mike White isn't good. And so the offense as a whole just isn't good. But one of the things that I want to point out was Elijah Moore because we saw at the beginning of the season, he, he had pretty crazy value. So it was hard to get uh, shares of him or acquire him because people are loving that he's a really good rookie. And the thing is, people are falling off ship. He's His value's been on a decline, just looking at keep trade cut. And I think he's someone that I'm going to start swooping up. If we look at, so I looked at my uh, elite and upside betas that I had in my, my sheets or my system. And we get names like Calvin Ridley, Deshaun Jackson, Percy Arvin, Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, Sidney Rice, and Tyler Boyd. And then when I look at the rookie target shares, we get numbers of 14.9, 19.8, 17 17.5, 16.8, 18.1, 15.1, and 14.4. And Elijah Moore is currently at 14.6, and people are jumping off the ship. But we know that rookies improve, so why are we jumping off ship? He's, he's, uh, fantasy output obviously isn't great because no one on this fantasy output has been great. It's just been a really bad offense. Like you said, it's just laughable when they go in and then they don't, they don't even have a chance because they're just not good. So it's definitely interesting to look at. And since Elijah Moore's kind of falling in value, is definitely going to be someone I'm looking to see if there's panic anywhere because right now it looks like it's up to script. He has a target share that matches what his prospect profile said he should have. And his prospect profile was pretty good. So he's someone that I'm going to be looking into buying this week. Looking on the other side of the ball, New England absolutely walloped them. Um, Mac Jones is still someone who's a low ceiling play because he still has a low A dot and he obviously has no rushing upside, but he's, that doesn't mean he hasn't been good. He's actually 12th in PFF pass grade, which is pretty good. And just for reference, all the other rookie quarterbacks, no one's inside the top 28 throw outside. Mac Jones is 12th. So he has looked really good for fantasy purposes. He's clearly hindered because of what I just said, but yeah, Mac Jones in real life and a little bit of fantasy has been good because he's been a good quarterback. Um, he's been targeting guys like Bolden and Jacoby Myers, both of who last week had a 17.5% target share, which is under the target share we usually see for Jacoby Myers. He's a clear alpha. He still has a 10 plus percentage lead on the next closest target leader on the team. But seeing what Bolden did was pretty great because he looks like the, the put in James White of this offense, because he's the one in the backfield that's catching all the passes. And when you fall into the end zone, you end up scoring a lot of points when you're already getting a lot of points from quite a few targets. So it's there's not a ton of options that are sexy really on either team, but someone like Brandon Bolden, who's really cheap, and I just picked him up everywhere off the waiver wire a few weeks ago, when you can get him and he's catching all these targets and when he falls into the end zone, which is something that unfortunately Jacoby Myers just hasn't done, then you end up getting really good weeks like we just saw at Brandon Bolden. Yeah, and then um, 
just darting back to the Elijah Moore point, I like the idea of comparing him to other betas just because we know betas don't see as high of a target share. And so it's understandable that as rookies, they don't see as high of a target share. And I think that a lot of people's views are skewed because last class we had a bunch of alphas be good in their rookie year. And the only, I think off the top of my head, the only productive or relatively productive beta was Jerry Judy and also CD Lamb technically, but he's a high, he's a skinny beta. So I think for a beta like Elijah Moore, I, I think people's people jumping ship is way too early. I think that's going to be a theme for a lot of players in this in the midseason. Just if you can probably jump ship at the end of the season if you need to, but don't jump ship ship in the middle of the season because middle of the season is right before the production starts to increase. I would say the production gets better across the season. So at the end of the season, then you can reevaluate, then you can jump ship. But I wouldn't recommend jumping ship off any rookies that you liked before just because they're not producing through the first half of the season because the second half of the season is when you start to see them explode more. And especially at the end of the season when you can kind of get like everything you have together and formulate like like you formulate your comps, I formulate like my room, my range of outcomes and stuff like that. And we can kind of like get an idea of what these rookies were. And when you jump off ship so soon, you kind of like miss the big picture of what it could be because Elijah Moore really hasn't been bad, but it may seem like he's been bad. Or like just look at guys like CD Lamb, who was a wide receiver three last year, and now he's the wide receiver three in value. Don't yeah. jump ship is the is the point. Right, and then uh, one of the things with our process is that it allows us to evaluate a lot of players really quickly, just from like a bird's eye view of a few metrics. And so when everyone, the way we evaluate is we could have like a decent evaluation of a player the second the season ends, pretty much. We can just look at their final uh, season long stat lines, compare, put them into our process of range of outcomes or rookie season comps, and then we can go from there. So that gives us an advantage when evaluating these players and giving advice just because we can act quickly. Then uh, next, moving on to the Carolina Panthers versus New York Giants game. Sam Darnold's first couple games, I think at this point we can safely say they were pretty much flukes. Uh, he's 27 from PFF passing grade at 34 quarterbacks, and his passing grade is third lowest out of any of his seasons in the NFL. Only his 2020 season was worse. He's, he's just bad, I think. I don't know what his contract looks like, but he should be out of Carolina after the season. They or if they can get rid of him after the season, he should be. The They said, even though he was benched in the game for P.J. Walker, they said he remains a starter. So it's a detriment to D.J. Moore, who has the peripherals to be a top-five dynasty wide receiver, but just isn't in that conversation like I think he should be. He has a 29% target share on the year, 2.2 yards per team pass attempt, both of which are pretty damn elite. So there's a, there's a reason to buy D.J. Moore, just like we're buying Terry McLaurin. Both have outstanding peripherals just don't have the production partly because of their horrendous qb play robbie anderson is kind of hilariously underproductive relative to his volume his target accuracy has been bad there's been some drops all of which point to i think we should see a decent bounce back from unusable production to probably a wide receiver three production nothing overly special nothing saying that he'll bounce back to being like a wide receiver two that he was last year i just think that he's a decent flex play and I think eventually the production catches up somewhat to the volume. Chua Hubbard without CMC has a pretty good workload that'll lead to RB2 numbers. In the long term, I think he might end up in like a conversation uh, as like Pollard or Madison were before the season as pure cuffs. So I think there's some 
decent staying power with his long-term dynasty value. Obviously, at this point, I don't know if you'll be able to like sell for a second just because CMC's coming back in just a couple weeks. Short-term, he and Royce Freeman, they run similar amounts of routes, so the floor isn't as safe as it is for a guy like Mike Davis when he was in Carolina, just because if they're going to be splitting the routes, they're probably going to split the receiving work, which hurts the floor for Chuba Hubbard a bit. And Terrace Marshall, who missed last week with a concussion, there's no reason to punt him just like Elijah Moore. Wait and see for down the stretch if he can play better, especially with Anderson not playing very well. If they can, if they want to rotate Marshall in more, then it'll help his fantasy output, especially because I think right now he's the third receiver playing in the slot more. I think he might be coming off on some of the two wide receiver sets. So if they decide to roll more with Marshall than Anderson going forward, it definitely benefits Marshall. Uh, just a quick question for you because we brought up, we both know how good DJ Moore is, and he definitely could be a top five receiver. Mm-hmm. If the if it were to be announced right now that the Houston Texans quarterback was traded to Carolina, do you think DJ Moore in value instantly becomes a top six uh, wide receiver? I think he's three or four. Yeah, that would make sense. I, I think he's curious the DK Metcalf range. Yeah, and that's definitely appropriate. Which is why you should be buying DJ Moore because we know that situations aren't permanent and they could easily have a QB upgrade soon, if not in a week or something. We know it's possible and that's a reason to buy dj more because eventually the situation will be better because right now the situation is just so bad exactly and he's still going to be good even in bad situations that's how we know a great situation yeah, he's, a he's, low wide receiver. he's a low wide receiver one with bad qb play he can be a wide a good like permanent wide receiver one with good qb play exactly and then looking at a team like the giants who don't have a wide receiver one at least the target shares made a little more sense this week we didn't see Dante Pettis and Colin Johnson taking over all the the targets. We saw Slayton and Ingram, two of the healthy healthy people that were on this unhealthy offense, take over in, in terms of targets. Slayton saw twenty seven point three percent target share. Ingram saw twenty four point two percent, which is pretty good. I think in terms of wasteland tight ends, when Ingram is just so low and he's someone who could actually put up twenty four point two percent target shares. He's still someone that like you can get for basically free, and I don't hate it because he can get targets. We've seen that. We've known that. So, And then looking at the backfield here, Devontae Booker with Saquon out gets solid usage. He's 65.4% of the ops with a 9.1% target share. Those aren't bad, especially when the passing volume isn't atrocious. And Daniel Jones, after an absolutely abysmal week, which – last week, which is something that was unlike him for this season. He had a 38.1 PFF grade, which is brutal. We saw him jump back up to 72.3, which is really good to see. And he had the eight rush attempts as well, which is something that isn't talked about Daniel Jones enough, is he does have the Konami code upside. So even when he's not passing great, which he was earlier this year, when when he's passing like mediocre and the offense is moving along, and then you get eight rush attempts, it's really not a bad QB play. Yeah. Do you know his nickname besides Dan, uh, Danny Dimes? Mm, Vanilla Vic. <laughs> That's a good one. I know. I love it. Yeah, I think um, for Evan Ingram, I think there's some reason to not like him as much as I did at the beginning of the season just because he's not playing as much with the addition of Kyle Rudolph. So I don't I don't think that like he'll see a 20% target share by the end of the year. But I think there's still a reason to like him at like the very end of the tight end wasteland just because he is so cheap. Yeah, I I mean uh comparing him to like my expectations where I thought 
that Ingram is going to be a 20 to 22% target share guy with around Kenny Galladay, like those two being there. That's doesn't look like the case. And last week we saw him at like a 10.4% or something like that. But when he's so cheap uh, and down in that tight end landscape, there's actually not too many tight ends that have the upside to even put up a 20% target share, which is why I don't mind paying the nearly free price for him. Mm -hmm. What the value says or what the market says and what I think has a decent chance of happening is Tony ends up being their best weapon, their best receiver. Uh, like when I say weapon, I'm not including Saquon. I just mean receiver, but I think that's probably what happens. And then you end up continuing to see Galladay with a beta target share as a fake alpha and then Ingram in that tight end wasteland target share range. Moving on to the Cincinnati Bengals game against the Ravens. They, they absolutely crushed the Ravens. It was amazing to watch. They're the top seed in the AFC right now. Just nothing to do with fantasy. Just amazing two years removed from being the first overall pick it's awesome to see burrow is a top 10 qb the volume's getting better week by week finally letting him cook which is terrific because at the beginning of the season we said how he's playing super well and he continues to play very well and he has some of the best receivers in the league right now chase is a top two dynasty wide receiver and there's a decent argument for one it's him and jefferson right there in that top tier the market says he's the clear one. I would say Jefferson and him are probably tied for me. But if uh, Chase continues to play like this for the rest of the year, there's a good argument for him being in a tier of his own just because he continues to play like this for the rest of the year. He'll have a better rookie season than Justin Jefferson, and he'll be a year younger. So Jamar Chase is fantastic. He might even be a buy high just because I think you're getting 10 years of elite production from him, which is irreplaceable. It just and It's worth every penny pretty much. Lost in the hype for Chase and Burrow is T. Higgins, who remains a buy. He had a 42% target share last week. On the year, he has a target share of 27.4%, which is eighth in the league right now. He's been inefficient on his targets, which I saw some people griping about on Twitter, but there's no reason to expect inefficiency to continue. We know that that's not very sticky. We'll just continue to chase the volume. No pun intended, Chase, but... Continue to chase the volume. This offense doesn't have to be either or with a tremendous QB like Joe Burrow. It can have both T and Chase be phenomenally productive. Mixon had the same opportunity share as as Samaj P. Ryan, but most of P. Ryan's work came after the starters of all sat, so I wouldn't worry about that if you were looking at the box score. Mixon's not being used as in the receiving game as much uh, as I thought could happen, which... Leaves me to think he's probably a low RB1 or high RB2 because he has an overwhelming command of all the groundwork in a good offense. And then Boyd is a low ceiling, low floor play. He's not really anything. I, I think we'd be doing a disservice since we are on the Bulletproof uh, podcast and YouTube site without talking about how awesome it is that Cincinnati's offense is the way they are. Because if we look at Drew's prospect grades, looking at what the offense has drafted the last couple of years, Tyler Boyd, a bulletproof beta. Uh, they got T. Higgins, a bulletproof alpha. And they got Jamar Chase, who's transcendent. They got Joe Mixon, who's a bulletproof running back. And they got Joe Burrow, who's a bulletproof quarterback. So is it hard to say that the success was predicted? Because Drew and both of us were really high on everyone they drafted. So uh, yeah. I think we'd be doing a disservice without mentioning that. But looking at uh, Baltimore, uh, Marquise Brown with a 34.1% target share was awesome to see, especially because at the beginning of the season, he was someone I comped to, Deontay Johnson, 
and their uh, values were just very far apart. Uh, Brown was around the 40s at the beginning of the season, Deontay in the 20s, and now you see their value much closer together because Marquise Brown's a good beta, just like Deontay Johnson's a good beta. And the games like this are are within his range of outcomes. So it's good to see Bateman with a 14.6% target share. Also good to see because last week he had a higher target share, but it's still really good. On the season, we're looking at 17.6% as in the two games with Rashad Bateman. But again, we just went over the the good betas target share, and that's well within very good target share range, especially in your first two games. So wheels up for Bateman still. And then Andrews, 17.1% target share this game, solid. And then Lamar, even in a huge loss, is just a cheat code. Like 12 rush attempts for 88 yards is pretty freaking good for a quarterback, which we already know that he's been a really good passer this year. So even in losses like this, his floor is so high because of these rush attempts, which we already know. We just know that he's passing a lot better. But, yeah, it should be mentioned he's a cheat code. Yeah, I think this last week uh, Bateman ran less routes than Hollywood. So I don't know the exact numbers. I just know Bateman ran less routes. So his yards, uh, his route, his targets per route probably look better than his target share, just which is good for the long term because it means that he's being productive with the opportunity he's been given with how he's getting on the field. And over the course of the season, he'll just continue to get better. And so coming into the offense and playing well in your very in your first two games is a very good sign. Then going over to the Philadelphia Eagles against the Las Vegas Raiders, Hurts overall accuracy, I will say this, just to slightly defend him, even though I'm not on him completely, his overall accuracy looks a lot worse than it really is because he throws deep so much. Like just this last week, he had an ADOT of 11.6, which is insanely high and a completion percentage of 53%. He isn't much better when adjusting. His completion percentage ranks... His completion percentage over expected ranks 23rd out of 33 quarterbacks. It isn't terrific, but his outlook probably isn't that he gets benched this year for mediocre Minshew, but probably that he sticks around for the year and is a QB, high QB one for the rest of the season, but doesn't have much sticking power in Philadelphia. It's it's a long-term sell and like an odd situation where a young player is a short-term buy. And then with Miles Sanders out for... The next few couple weeks, it's Gainwell over Scott just because of the receiving work. Philadelphia, they, they don't run a lot. Very quick to abandon the run, and Hertz is pretty much their best rusher. So even though Scott had more carries, I would favor Gainwell just because he ran more routes, routes had more targets, had a 26% target share, which is absolutely crazy. So if he's going to be a good PPR back with Miles Sanders out as well as mixing in some a little bit of rushing work, he can be startable, a decent RB2. And then Devonta Smith with a 23% target share. He's basically the 2021 version of Jerry Judy with a good target share for a beta rookie. And I don't know, I think they could add an alpha. We'll just have to wait and see with him. But we know he's a pretty good beta in an offense full of tight ends and other betas. And then Dallas Goddard, I know you had him as a sell, but I'm either as a hold or maybe a buy but probably a hold just because without Zach Ertz in his first game without Zach Ertz, his usage was pretty near elite with, he had a route on 95% of all the passing snaps and he played 70% of his passing snaps in the slot or out wide, which is the usage that leads to better upside. And that kind of usage can 
lead to him jumping from his current tier into a tier with like guys like Andrews or Vance. He can definitely jump up a tier or two in tight end rankings if he can earn targets well, which he has done on a per route basis for pretty much his entire career. Yeah, the problem that I have just with that is that he's already pretty much nearly, because if he jumps a tier, I'm not sure how much his value will change, at least looking through at keep trade cut, because he's just one spot below Fant and not that much lower in terms of overall value than Fant. So when we talk about him jumping up a tier, I'm not sure how much we're looking at. Plus, I think the downside as a wasteland tight end is a little harsher than what the upside would be in buying him. Yeah. So I marked him as a sell because he's he's right under that elite category and he's not someone I think will jump to elite. Uh, like you said, it's good to it's good to hear about those routes and it makes sense because Zach Ertz was good when Goddard was out. But yeah, last week we didn't see it. He had a 16% target share with Ertz out and he doesn't exactly profile as one of those elite guys. So it's more of just mitigating risk and I think that you could get decent value for Goddard because I think his market value is high because of like what you said with Ertz gone. He's being able to be used more, and I think that'll kind of increase his value because there's not another tight end there that they have to project him with. But I don't mind holding him because of what you said. I uh, just um, just checked the production from if you went to from a guy like Mark Andrews to a guy like Dallas Goddard. I don't think you're sacrificing too much production. I think what's Andrews' points per game right now? I'd say that it's around 13, 14. I'd say, and he's had a few spike weeks, so. I would expect uh, just like a, a downgrade. It's a downgrade from Andrews to Goddard, obviously, but it's uh, it's just a slight downgrade. But going from Andrews to Goddard in keep your cut, the difference between them is a guy like Leonard Fournette, who's a terrific win now running back, or Cam Akers, who's a terrific win later running back. So I do think that there's some there's a uh, some merit to maybe buying him and selling another tight end in the in a higher tier just because there's a chance that his elite deployment can lead to good production in the future and just for reference i did look and uh which it's hard to say because that was his first game without Ertz. but just on the overall season he's 5.9 points per game less than mark andrews which Mm. i think the gap will shrink because yeah Yeah. he won't be as he will he's getting used more he'll have better usage he'll have some games with better target share than this one with Ertz gone, but I don't think it, I mean, if I could get Leonard Fournette on top, someone who I like and I think is undervalued on top, then yeah, I'd, I'd probably do that. But yeah, so he's, he's a hold for you, a sell for me, but I could definitely see holding. Looking at Las Vegas, speaking of tight ends, they did not have Waller uh, this week, which made Renfro their leading target uh, guy with a 23.5% target share. Good to see because Renfro is the wide receiver one on this team. And even with even with Waller out, Edwards still had an 11.8 target share, which is the exact target share that he has on the season, 11.8. So he's just kind of stuck in that 12% role. I mean, I still see people talking about how he's just this high upside. I even saw this argument about that, like, when he's gone and he won't be with Derek Carr anymore, which I just don't get. Derek Carr throws the ball deep. He's third best in passing grade in 2021 with an 89.9. So it's an Edwards problem. It's not a car. It's not a situation. It's not an offense problem. It's just the talent isn't there. But people are still hanging on. If you're just now listening to me, I'm going to tell you to sell Edwards, but most of you already know that he's someone whose value just still doesn't make sense. There's just too much being projected based on this 
this illusion of him being this great prospect, which he really was not. So I'm he's saying that, uh, that he's right next. He's like right there with Odell Beckham Jr. on in keep trade cut. That's a trade. Yeah, that if you could flip him for Odell, definitely do it. I'm all about it. And then Moreau was someone who filled in for Waller and did a nice job and inserted himself as a wasteland tight end. So yeah. good to see, but not not something I'm making actionable or anything like that. It was just good to see because Foster Moreau is Yeah, sometimes when you're, the, when you're the only tight end and you're like Foster Moreau or Ricky Seals-Jones, sometimes you just run a ton of routes and that leads to good production. You know, like exactly. If you're on the field for like 100% of the snaps and you're not blocking, then you'll probably produce decent numbers. And that's one of the reasons I'd say like Dallas Goddard isn't a sell, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's fair because as fantasy owners, we don't want um, them blocking as much, which right. we already talked about Denver, but fans, one of those guys where we wish he was blocking less and he was running roots more. Yeah. So, so then looking at the, the backfield for Las Vegas, Jacobs got hurt and left at halftime and he had nine of the 13 touches in the backfield which is a good number. And then when he left, Drake was kind of the main man with Richard getting a few more touches than he did in the first half. Jacobs is clearly the guy here, but again, it's not a backfield that I want to touch too much just because I think there's just Jacobs already doesn't catch passes. And then the guys that does like Drake, who, who has a 9.1% target share on the season, doesn't get the same ops. Um, I think, Jacobs just at his value just isn't someone that you're still kind of paying a decent amount for someone who usually doesn't catch passes and he won't have this crazy high op share. So you're looking at a low ceiling player, which is usually something you don't want in a running back because like Jacobs, your low ceiling players then getting hurt, which doesn't offer much. Yeah, I will say for Jacobs, there's been decent passing usage more than what he was like drafted for a preseason where there are like people are expecting almost zero he has in his um five games played he had two targets five targets five targets one targets and then three targets in one half in this last game so that's that's decent i mean there's just times it's just it's easy to have have a running back get a target because it's literally just a check down so i do think there's some receiving work just enough that if he's the lead back he'll probably be like a high RB2, which is more than people are expecting from him, which probably makes him like a guy that sticks around his value or maybe even has some weeks where he maybe has some good ceiling weeks. But I do think that there's no reason to panic about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that your opinion on Jacob should have changed. I mean, his target share, like you said, and just like Annette, has gone up since last year and what his prospect profile said but it's still a low ceiling play where his value's a hold because I believe he's around like RB19, RB20, which is probably somewhere where I'd expect him to finish. I expect, I thought I saw him around like 24, 25. Like right I know, I think end. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was RB23 because I made a point about that, and I think I saw him one spot ahead or two spots ahead or something like that of Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Yeah, Jake has been jumping all over. He was like... 24 i think a couple weeks ago now he's 19 he's like at the very end of all the running backs who are like starters locked in and then miles sanders is below him but like he's right above guys like etn hunt acres edwards alaire so you're really really no one to like downgrade from unless you want to move to a backup or a win now guy like leonard fournette 
Or just get away from the running back position. Yeah. If you're in a yeah, if you're in a rebuild, trade him away because he's a starting running back who's locked into a job. Just trade him at his current price for a decent wide receiver or multiple decent wide receivers. In for wide receivers, I love I a new philosophy I've been uh taking in over the last few weeks or a few months have just been quantity over quality just because it's so easy to get production from anywhere at wide receivers. Like they're looking at guys right now like Marvin Jones and AJ Green who are producing wide receiver three numbers. That's how that's the way to build a contending team. Just stock up on a bunch of wide receivers and then have running backs that fill in well. I mean you're not wrong. I bet a team that looks like has a wide receiver core of Emmanuel Sanders, AJ Green, and Marvin Jones probably isn't looking too bad in the standings. Yeah, and then add in Devontae Parker because I know you love trading for him. Yeah. I got I have a team that's like full of veterans that no one wanted. It was like Keenan Allen, Julio Jones, uh, o- AB, OBJ. And then I also got like Deontay Johnson, Brandon Ayuk, uh, Devontae Adams. It's just a s- absolutely stacked receiving core, plus DeAndre Swift, plus Austin Eckler, plus some backups like Chuba and Mike Davis. So, I don't know. I'm just brimming with wide receivers in that team. Then uh, moving on to the, I believe it's the Detroit Lions game against the Rams. DeAndre Swift, who I was just talking about, is elite. He has a 20% target share, which leads all running backs. He leads all running backs in target share and targets. He's he's my dynasty RB1. I'd easily flip a guy like Najee Harris for him, and I have. I, I even added a second to Najee Harris just to move to Swift just because the guy wasn't as high on Harris. So I added a second just to push it over the top. That's a deal I feel comfortable with just because I feel like Swift's the more talented running back. And then... TJ Hawkinson is an interesting conundrum for me just because on the season, his peripherals don't look as good. He has a 20% target share, which should be higher if he's going to jump into like elite conversation or close to elite conversation with no true alpha in the offense. For him to have the same target share as a running back, really, there is no excuse, except maybe there is an excuse because like midway through like the sample size of games we have now, in weeks like three and four, he had a knee injury that was really... That probably hampered him because that's when his target share dipped. So that might be a reasonable explanation because over the last couple of weeks, he has a way better target share of like 28%. So Hawkinson probably ends up as a top five tight end, but maybe doesn't jump into elite conversation, which is fine. He's just a good hold. And then take a stab on Khalif Raymond in deep redraft leagues. He's probably added in Dynasty, but last week, 25% target share. So just something to keep an eye on. Yeah, and no one else on the team even had a 7% target share. It was just like an extremely funneled passing offense last week. So it was kind of interesting to see. But looking at the Rams, so just going through this and then looking at the season, it was just kind of mind-blowing because we get Cooper Cup, who has a 33.6% target share on the season. And you're like, where'd this come from? He didn't even have a 23% target share in his entire career. So it literally bumped up 10%, which in his fifth year, which is – unheard of like where would that come from and then you look at then you look at van jefferson a bus prospect who did absolutely nothing his rookie year now is a 13.7 percent target share in the season so like where did that come and then you have henderson who was the backup to cam Akers, and they literally drafted the next year a running back in the second round to replace hendo and now he's being used as an absolute bell cow. Last week, 91.3% of the ops, 14.6% target share, just an absolute bell cow. And you're just looking at these guys and you're like, where did this even come from? Like, what process were you using? 
where you could have figured out that this was what the Rams were going to do. It just, it doesn't make sense. We're seeing it now. And it's, it's more so just like mind blowing to look at if, if it's a weird one. And it's something that's also hard to, as something that I've been struggling with is what to make of this backfield once Cam Akers returns. Cause I think what I've seen his rehab is going really well and there's a chance that he could return for the playoffs. And that means he definitely returns well for training camp next year. And if that's the case, the split, I don't know what it's going to look like. I would think it looks like an acres led committee probably just because Henderson's playing really well. They wouldn't be giving him the majority of the opportunities, the vast majority of opportunities, even if he was playing badly. So Henderson's probably more than just a guy. He's a decent player. He was drafted in the third round by the Rams. So just tells you, hey, this is a guy that they probably liked and they still like him. They're giving a lot of opportunities. So even when Cam Akers returns, I think Henderson still has a decent role. So it's just uh, interesting to see what this backfield is going to look like next year. I think uh, we'll be able to tell from what we see in the playoffs and how Akers recovery goes over the course of the year. Yeah, and then just to hit on one more point, so I was wrong, obviously, on the Cup Woods uh, debate, I guess you could call it. But the thing when I look at it now is that I absolutely nailed my my outlook on Robert Woods because so Robert Woods and Cooper Cup are guys who are would be considered fake alphas because they hover around like that twenty two percent target share. Robert Woods was usually, except for like a year, was ahead of him in target share around like 23%. But Cooper Cup was always someone who had a higher target share. And then I looked at a guy like Matthew Stafford, who would come in and likely score more touchdowns or lead to more scoring offense than a guy like Jerry Goff is, which is true. It's happening. So I said Robert Woods would have similar target share to and produce similar to what he has his entire career with a higher TD percentage than he usually has, which is why I took Woods. And the thing that sucks is that's exactly what's happening with Woods. He's He's a 20.7% target share, a little under the average, but it's like right where you kind of expect him to be in that fake alpha range. Good yards per team pass, 10-2.08, which is elite. And he has the highest TD rate of his career. So when you look at things like that and then you just see what Cubs doing, it just makes my prediction look even worse because I was actually right on Robert Woods. I know. And it kind of makes Woods like not – like there's nothing that says he's uh, – a buy low other than the fact that he just looks bad in comparison to Cooper Cup because Cooper Cup's blowing him out of the water when Woods hasn't even been that bad. He's just been normal Robert Woods with more touchdowns. So there's Yeah, a- he didn't he didn't take the ten percent off his highest career target share and just up it. Right. This isn't like Debo Samuel's explosion where it just where Ayuk is now nothing. I mean Woods is still doing something. Yeah, he's still Robert Woods. And we'll get to Ayuk and Debo later definitely as we move through these games. Going over to the – do you have anything else to say for the Rams? Uh, no. No, moving on to the Texans game. A report from Aaron Reese. I don't know how to pronounce it. Aaron Reese of The Athletic that Cooks won't be traded. So, And that I've also heard that Tyrod is the starter when healthy. Both of those are good for Cooks' outlook as he continues to dominate targets. And Tyrod will definitely be a QB upgrade over – bottom of the league davis mills so i think woods is uh, not woods i think cooks is still a good uh win now buy and another guy on that team who's an interesting option is david johnson who's sometimes involved well in the receiving game i think he's just he's just an rb3 obviously and there's no like elite 
upside or anything. He's just stuck in a committee on a bad offense, but the receiving work is there for him to be a decent bi-week filler who you can get for super cheap or like off waivers maybe. Yeah, and good for you for talking about Houston longer than I would have talked about him because outside of Cooks and maybe Deontay Johnson, a running back that gets targets, it's hard to see like anything. For Tyrod, though, it's definitely serviceable. He's fine, and he's someone who rushes. So with Tyrod coming back and it being announced that he's the starter and not Davis Mills, that is that is news because if you're a contender, I don't mind having him as like a QB3, QB4 because – He's someone who has a decently high floor despite not being exactly great. Um, but looking at Arizona in this game, I know I talk a lot about how Lamar Jackson is just this cheat code because not only does is he known and does he rush all the time, but he's also been a really good passer. Well, now I need to talk about Kyler Murray, who we know rushes a lot and gets a lot of points rushing. He's now ranked the second in PFF passing grade, only behind Tom Brady, which is just insane to think about because this is someone who like he has rushing upside and you don't think of him as like someone who's been a good passer but he's been a really good passer this year so absolute cheat code and then deandre hopkins we saw him with a 32.1 percent target share hopefully we see more of this because on the season he's at a 22 percent target share which is just not where we're used to seeing deandre hopkins and i think that's definitely something he could do especially when we look at the other options and they're all kind of clogging each other. When you got guys like Kirk, uh, AJ Green, even Chase Edmonds, Rondell Moore, and then you add Ertz into it, on the season they're all 145 to 16.4% target share guys. So they're they're good, I would say, because they're earning targets, but they're competing with each other. So it kind of seems like Hopkins is pulling away and they're kind of sticking around that 15% range just because there's so many like solid options on this offense. So it, it just makes it clogged because of that. And I then, would say that, like, if you're trying to decipher, like, the pecking order, I would say Hopkins, then, like, A.J. Green and and Zach Ertz, just because they're on the field more. Like, one's the wide receiver, two, One's the only tight end. Then below them, it's Kirk and Rondon Moore, just because they split the slot work and kind of cannibalize each other. Yeah. And that's how I would put it, not in terms of like dynasty value, obviously, right. but that's definitely just what for, I would say. Right yeah, now. they're just kind of clogging each other, which sucks because if you take a few of these options out, I think we see another like 20% target share person. But then the last part, the backfield here, Edmonds, who I just hit, had a 10.7% target share last week, 58.1% of the ops. He just doesn't get the red zone work who they give to Connor, which just sucks for both of them because then you look at Connor who gets the red zone work, but he doesn't get the targets. So they're kind of just capping each other's ceilings. But like we said last week, it's it's the Edmonds Drake is really similar to the Edmonds uh, Connor. Yeah, definitely. Except the offense is just a lot better. I will say for Kyler, I don't even know if this is his ceiling. Really. Like what he's doing now, he's passing a lot better than he is rushing, which isn't like his MO, but he's not rushing very well. And I think part of it, is like his shoulder injury that has led him to rush less and rush for less like yards. Like his yards per carry is low. And we know yards per carry is probably a bad stat, but it might be useful for Kyler just because it's it means I don't know if he's not rushing as much um like for as many yards, it kind of takes away the ceiling. But we know that as his shoulder heals up or something, he could easily return to back what his rushing numbers were in previous years where they were a lot higher and he continues to pass like maybe a top five passer in the league right now the way he is now could lead to him being back in conversation for the qb1 overall in the 
Dynasty Superflex QB1? I think, uh, just looking at Keep Trade Cut when I looked, I was confused because I saw Patrick Mahomes said QB2, but uh, Kyler Murray also said it's QB2, so I believe they're both tied at uh, in Keep Trade Cut value at QB1, basically. Wow, that's hilarious. Because I'm looking right now, and Kyler Murray and Josh Allen are tied for QB1 with Patrick Mahomes falling. So Wow. I know that's crazy, but they're all very similar. In, yeah, uh, I mean, you're, you're not you're not going to go out and find Patrick Mahomes at a discount. That just no doesn't way. exist. And if there is a discount, it's the fact that you can trade Kyler or Josh Allen for them straight up when you couldn't do that before the season. Yeah, that's, that's the, the discount. You discount. Get on, that's the discount you get on Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Next, we got the Chicago Bears game. The Allen Robinson with the twenty three percent target share. And Mooney out targeting him with a 25% target share. Overall, the volume is very mediocre and it doesn't make either of them very startable or very usable. And Fields' performance makes neither of them very, very usable this season. But it is interesting for Mooney going forward, who I think enters the conversation after this year of like being undervalued in the way that people undervalued Marquise Brown heading into this year. They've, people have been undervaluing Christian Kirk for a couple of years, I think that Mooney has some intrigue as a cheap, like he's, he has wide receiver four prices right now, like as a wide receiver four. So if you're looking for quantity at wide receivers, he's not a bad option just because there's some decent peripheral peripherals around him in the way that Marquise Brown wasn't producing last year, but he had some decent peripherals and feels is second to last in completion percentage over expected and last in PFF passing grade. If he plays like this for the rest of the season, then we can start to worry about it. Then we can sell. But right now, don't panic and sell because you're probably selling close to a floor that if he's good, he'll bounce back. And if he's not good, if he continues to look back for the rest of the season, then we can sell after the season and reevaluate then. But also, Khalil Herbert is playing well. Obviously, you probably can't sell him for a second at this point because he's only the starter for a few more weeks until Montgomery returns. But if he continues to play well, he might have some sticking power in the in Chicago, which may have some upside just because running backs get hurt a lot. And if he has some sticking power, then he's worth a stash. Yeah, I think it should also be noted that Williams was activated pretty late in the week. Yeah. So I don't think Herbert gets the same opportunity share that he did, but it was definitely encouraging to see, especially because he is a rookie running back. Um, yeah. But going off some more things that you said and what we both reiterated is wait till the end of the season to kind of look at these rookies and don't panic yet, but most especially with quarterbacks because quarterbacks do improve drastically in the second half of the season. And we know that they're going to be pretty bad when they first start. So especially when you, you did pay a premium to get these rookie quarterbacks, you absolutely should not be bailing on them now. I mean, I would, I don't mind buying buying if someone's bailing, but you should not be bailing on them. Uh, Looking at Tampa Bay. Oh, actually, one more point about what you said about Mooney. It's funny because we're gonna we're gonna be people who were saying you're overdrafting Mooney this this past off season, mm-hmm. which is obviously true. But then I have a feeling, like you said, with the Marquise Brown point, he's putting up a good target share and he's earning targets, which is good to see. And he's probably someone we're gonna be saying, hey, you're undervaluing him this this off season. So yep. it's it's a good pivot that we're probably both gonna have. But looking at Tampa Bay, Brady, who I mentioned earlier, is the top PFF passer, which is just insane to think about because he's old and he's just absolutely dominating. And this offense is much easier to like figure out the usage and see the pure upside from guys like Godwin and Evans when there is no Antonio Brown, 
or even Gronk for that matter. We saw Godwin with a 28.2% target share and Evans with 25.6% target share on a good offense, and obviously they both produced. But when you add a guy like Antonio Brown, all three are going to produce. They just won't have the extreme alpha that they do when AB or even Gronk isn't there. So it's a really good offense. All the options are good. It's just games like this where you're missing a piece or two where you can see where it's going to be funneled between the alphas. And then Leonard Fournette, he's someone who I just talk about buying every week because he gets really good usage on a really good offense. This week he only had 50% of the ops and 10% target share, but I would say the game got completely out of hand and there's no point to put your uh, nearly bell cow running back in there just when you're up 30-plus points in the second half. So, Yeah, I agree there. Then for the Indianapolis Colts, Carson Wentz is like the definition of average in so many categories. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. That can be a good thing. He's very middle of the pack and like he's like 15th to 19th in completion percentage over expected, expected points added per play, PFF passing grade, neutral pass frequency. And when you have an average starter with average volume, you get average production. And he probably has some good sticking power in, in, in Indianapolis just because he isn't playing horribly. So at prices like QB 25, I'm fine with paying that if I need a QB three. Like he's a he's good depth at the at a very at a position that everyone needs at some point. So if you need a QB, I don't mind making him a trade target just because he's playing decently well and he'll just be a decent QB two. Pittman had a, a good touchdown catch, but he has cooled off over the last couple of weeks. His target share on the season is 23 percent. And uh, on the last couple of weeks, it was 17% and 15%. It could maybe be said that this week was maybe due to some rain. That's why his target share was down because 12 of the 26 targets went to guys like Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, Zach Pascal, who all work in very short ranges of the field. Maybe you can try to explain away some of the target share falling, but it remains that his target share isn't elite, but it isn't bad. And so he's probably just a decent wide receiver too. He's their, he's their wide receiver one by default and he's playing pretty well, but he's not blowing anyone out, out of the water. So he's probably not going to be like elite, but he's just going to be solid. Yeah. And when I looked at this game and I was looking into it and I was just looking at the numbers, I saw Wentz's uh, PFF passing grade and I was like, wow, that is really bad. And then I was like, oh wait, this is a monsoon game. So I'm not going to judge a single quarterback in this game and kind of realize it's a weird quirky game. Like you said, especially where, the running backs are getting a ton of the the looks in the receiving game because you just can't pass that deep, especially with the wind and all that fun stuff, which is probably a good reason why Hasty took 22.2% of the targets for San Francisco. It's probably something you won't do too much, but it was really encouraging to see because we know Elijah Mitchell is going to carry the load in the backfield, but he's not someone that's the receiving back or gets a lot of targets. That's looking like it's going to be hasty in his first game back who took all those targets, like I said. He likely won't be up there, but for someone in what we hope to be a decent offense, somewhat good, for running back to take those targets is something that I definitely look at. And if he's on your way for a while, I mean, you should, if you haven't already, you should be smashing someone like hasty. And then looking at the rest of the backfield, Trey Sermon is officially Keyshawn Vaughn. He literally got no snaps, and Hasty and Juszczyk and Mitchell are doing everything, and the third-rounder that was so highly touted by many is nobody. So there's that. Uh, 
Debo, on the other hand, 40.7% target share, which is just insane. He's someone I wish I had some more of because his A dot has normalized. It's 8.2 on the season. And the 2.0 that he had his sophomore year in those games before he got hurt were pretty scary because you're looking at that's like RB esque usage. I mean, that, that's basically getting a lot behind the line of scrimmage. But seeing this normalize and who his comps were after his rookie year, he's someone that I missed out on because of it. And then to look at a guy like Ayuk, who had 3.7% target share this week, and on the season we're looking at 8.6%, it's definitely worrying and definitely something that's concerning and has a lot of risk to it. When I got a little deeper into it, like he wasn't a great prospect, but he had a historic rookie year. And then you look a little deeper at, you know, the similar target share, similar profiles, and you get a lot of people who are really good. But then you finally find a couple who just weren't that good. Greg Little being one of them, uh, Masaku, or I forget how to pronounce his name, was another one. Yes, him. Yeah. Uh, their target shares kind of dewindled to 16%, it, both of them in their sophomore season. And then in their third season, they're 12 to 14%, which is something that Ayuk, because his profile does match up with theirs, his rookie year matches up with theirs. It's definitely a risk that there is with Ayuk, but also the fact that he had such a historic and prolific rookie year makes it really confusing. Well, I did this week. I was clearly a little overexposed to Ayuk, and while he still has good value, especially, or not good value, but value, and some people still value him as what could be a possible high ceiling, like Dynasty wide receiver one, high end wide receiver two as a ceiling. Um, I, I've sold a few shares just to get a little, little less exposure, but it, it's a really weird situation, and there's definitely a lot of risk involved. That's interesting because I did not see those kind of rookie year comps. I didn't include profile, and I looked more at like size. And I think my comps might have been a bit tighter because I have guys like. I don't remember off the top of my head, because, but it was guys like Amari Cooper, uh, Terry McLaurin, Keenan Allen, and I think AJ Green, but it was nothing but elite comps. So my comps had him a lot higher, and I was pretty high on him. So his um, what, what he's doing right now probably doesn't mean he's a bad player because this kind of drop-off isn't isn't something to do with being bad i think that i heard some people i heard someone on twitter talking about how he looks like he's more out of shape maybe that's a possible reason maybe he's just maybe it's mental but i would say that this is like the worst of the range of outcomes for brandon Ayuk. and there's some argument to maybe buying just because i don't think this is like dante pettis where he gets cut and so if he can eventually get right we know he's a good player when he gets right i think that he can bounce back well but like you said, if you're overexposed, maybe there's oh, some reason to shed a couple shares just because you don't want to have the floor absolutely bottom out on you. So that's reasonable. But I think if you don't have any shares, maybe consider getting a couple just because the price is so depreciated right now for the upside that he still has. And we know that offenses don't have to be one or the other guy. So there's possibility that both guys are productive or a couple guys are productive and Trey Lance could... I don't know. He could come in later in the season, turn it on, or he could turn it on next season and be a terrific player. Just this. Yeah, I, I did talk about the risk a good amount there because of what I did. But 
there's a reason that I had such high ceiling for him, and then your comps came out with such high ceilings for him because he was really good his rookie year. So, yeah, a drop-off like this is something that's nearly unheard of or unlikely to happen and not not seen too often. So, yeah, if you if you don't have any shares, like, and you can get them at really cheap, like, I don't hate it whatsoever. Um, that sounds reasonable to me. And then the New Orleans Saints game, uh, Alvin Kamara is the best receiver on the team until Michael Thomas gets back. You should probably buy Michael Thomas when he gets back because when healthy, he's the funnel of this offense. It's really just Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara that run the offense. No one else is viable. I will say that Marquez Callaway probably has decent, like, I don't know. He he maybe has, like, a decent role just because he's not going to blow him out of the water or be, like, overly productive, but he's, like, Tim Patrick or Zach Pascal and a uh, guy that was – like undrafted comes in, makes plays. It will never give you like season to season long production, but week to week you might be able to plug them in and get, get like 10 points or something. Like that's the kind of production I would like. That's what I think Marcus Callaway has the upside to do. Like stick in New Orleans as a decent player. Yeah. And obviously a little bit of that's going to be affected when Michael Thomas comes back, which is hopefully really soon. So hopefully he's stocked up on these cheap, cheap Michael Thomas shares because I promise you when he comes back, he's a really good wide receiver. But looking at Seattle in this game, as a Seattle fan, it was absolutely brutal to watch because we're absolutely nothing without Russell Wilson. And I mean, 22 pass attempts, not just for not just for real life, but in fantasy is just not going to get your options very much, especially when four of those came at the very end of the game on like, fourth and 28 just trying to do something to have any sort of chance so yeah 18 pass attempts before that is just absolutely gross it's going to make guys like dk if he if he didn't have an 84 yard touchdown on the opening drive despite a 26.3 percent target share that week really doesn't lead to much which is just sad and then lockett who still wasn't even bad that game or even Freddie Swain, who led in target share at 31.6%, just didn't have any fantasy production because they never pass. Like, you can have a high target share, but if you pass 10 times, that that equates to, like, two targets. So if they, they need to start passing, they do the same thing with Russ. I mean, it's hard not to just sit here and vent about how we need a new coach or a new system or anything because it's brutal. <laughs> it's absolutely brutal. Uh, I guess I'll leave off on Alex Collins in the backfield he did have 68% of the ops and a 5.3% target share, which is all right. But when you don't fall in the end zone, especially on such low passing volume, it's it's not really much. So there's not really much to say for the Seattle side. If you can buy low, even on a guy like Tyler Lockett, because we know Russell's coming back and you probably can't on DK. But even if you can't unlock it, I definitely like it because he's someone who does earn targets. He's a good beta, and especially when Russ is back, which is hopefully soon, he's yeah. going to be good again. Russ could come back. I see that uh, Mike Garofalo reported that he com- could come back as soon as eligible, so right after the bye, so for Week 10. If you're eyeing the playoffs in redraft, then or even in Dynasty, if you're eyeing the playoffs, then Lockett is a good player to trade for because he's even cheaper in Dynasty because he's a veteran, and you're probably going to get some high wide receiver 2 production or low wide receiver 1 production when Russ is back. So I like the idea of trading for Tyler Lockett because I think Russ beats his timetable. He just yeah. he's just different. Like he just 
he could come back very quickly. Yeah, and this is a guy that never missed a game in his career until now. So I know. I think that about wraps it up for the week. We had uh it was nice to talk about some of the players more, dive into the situations more, just because with six teams on by, we have a bit more time for each team. So talking about some situations more, it's really good. It's I like talking about this stuff. But I think that about does it for this episode of the R Squared Fantasy Football Podcast. If you like what you hear and you can come find us on twitter or you can find me on twitter at yzr underscore fantasy uh and then you can find me uh dynasty underscore i am on twitter and you can also find both of us on drew's patreon in the bulletproof patron discord and then ian has his own patreon that you can find on his twitter yeah and drew's discord if you don't already know or aren't already a part of it it's got Basically, all the content you could ever need, plus some. Right, exactly. There's so much talk, so much talking about Dynasty, so much debate, discussion, content. It's it's really amazing. So I think that about wraps it up. Uh, whenever you're listening, have a good night, good evening, a good rest of your day, and thank you for listening. Have a good one.